Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Today is our family worship service, and four times a year when there's a fifth Sunday, we invite our, all of our children. Now, parents, you can bring your kids in any, any service. They're not, they're not uh, prohibited from coming to church, but we do have an amazing children's team that ministers to them each and every Sunday. And so it allows our children's team to come into church, and on that, those four Sundays um, where there's a fifth Sunday in the month uh, each year, and uh, we have the kids come in. And kids, those that are part of NCS, like I do at NCS, I have some of my boxes of candy here, and we're going to, oh, Caitlin's already sitting up straight there. She's ready. I'm going to ask a few questions. We'll get some kids to help me a little bit today with some of what we're doing and, uh, and, and doing those things. And uh, we will, kids, sixth grade and below, to start us off, first one I see stand here will be able to come on up and get a box of candy. And uh, let me just see here, how many books in the Bible? Oh, I saw first one right over here. Yes, sir, Caleb. 66. Come on up. 66. Adults, how many books in the Bible? 66. All right. How many in the Old Testament? First one to stand up. Back here. So, uh, so, Sophia. I'm getting her mom and her name mixed up. 39. Come on down, Sophia. How many in the Old Testament? Yes, sir. 66 minus 39. Who can do the math real fast? No. Close. 27, come on down, Daniel, there you go, 27, and who can tell me the first book of the Old Testament? First book of the Old Testament, yes, sir? Come on up, Genesis right there, and that is where we find our series this morning. We're jumping back into our verse-by-verse series through the book of Genesis. We're in, I think, lesson message number 29 in this series as we're walking through this book of beginnings. This book of foundations, this vital book. All right, adults and parents, we can all do this, but I'm only going to, and kids I mean, but only I'm going to give it to the, kid, the first kid I see stand up. Let's do a sword drill to get to our text verse. Swords up. Here we go. Swords up. Parents, that means you hold your Bible up. All right. Swords up. I'm going to give you the reference. Don't put it down until I say go. Why do I see so many phones being held up here? All right. <laughs> Don't put it down until I say go. Gal- say the reference out loud. Galatians 4.19. Not yet, not yet. Put it back up. One hand. I know the tricks back there. They got their hand, thumb in the middle, holding it on the back binding. I know all the sword drill tricks because I used to do them all. Galatians 4.19, say it again. First one to stand up, go. We're all going to go to Galatians 4.19, Galatians 4.19. Oh, somehow Mitchell's at Galatians 4.19 already. I don't know. It feels like maybe there was some parental cheating going on. Come on up, Mitchell. Come on up and get a... You, come on up and get a box of candy there. Hey. Hey, Mitchell. Is this on right here, RF1? Did you find Galatians in your Bible? You want to say hi to, say hi to your dad? <laughs> where, where would, what's the book before Galatians? <laughs> what's the book after Galatians? Is it in the Old Testament or the New Testament? You don't know. All right, get your candy. Which one do you want, Mitchell? You want milk duds, M&Ms, goobers, junior mints, good and plenty, Reese's Pieces? Everyone's waiting on you. 
This one, this is for me. These are like for grandparents, but that's all right. I love junior (laughs) mints right there. All right. Galatians 4.19. Let's read our text verse this morning. Good job, Mitch. Galatians 4.19. Before we go to Genesis, we're going to read here in Galatians. Galatians 4.19. Follow along, if you will, and we will read aloud some. The Bible says in Galatians 4.19, Paul speaking to the church at Galatia. By the way, Galatians is an epistle. It just simply means a letter. He's writing to them, not the church at Galatia. It's the churches at Galatia. Galatia was, Galatia was a region, and there were multiple churches that had been planted here. Paul writes a letter to pass it around. And some of his letters were really kind. Galatians was correcting some doctrinal error. The, the Galatian Christians, the Christians in that region and those different churches, they had some false teachers creep in that were bringing in what we call legalism. Legalism is adding the law to the work of Christ and adding a list of rules to the free gift that God's given us. And so he's correcting legalism when in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter number 4, verse number 19, the Bible says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. By the way, this is not a real—sometimes you think you talk to your kids, oh, my little sweetie, like it's a real term of endearment. This was not a, a real term of endearment. He's basically saying, you bunch of immature Christians, I'm having to start all over again with you because you guys can't stay on track doctrinally. I'm having to travail again in birth until Christ be formed in you. Verse 20, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. I'm worried about you guys. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? You're going back. God saved you. He's giving you freedom and grace and liberty and forgiveness, and you're going back to the bondage of the law. Don't don't you know what the law's about? Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had how many sons, church? How many? The one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, and he of the free woman was by promise. Would you read the first five words of verse 24 up to the word allegory? Ready? Begin. Which things are an allegory? Which things are are an allegory. What things are an allegory? The story of Abraham's two sons from two different women. What kid can tell me? Abraham had two sons. Who can tell me one of them? Stand up. Tell me one of them. Annalise? Ishmael, come on up. Come on up, Annalise. You're not going to get your candy yet. Okay, you're going to come on up and help me right here. Ishmael, you're going to hold that right there. Who can tell me the other son? Let me see. Trey? Isaac, come on up. Come on up. Who can tell me? Ishmael, you're going to stand on that side, Trey. You can stand right here, baby, right on that step. You're going to stand over there, Trey. Who can tell me Ishmael's mom? Ishmael's mom, yes. Hagar, come on up, come on up. So you're going to be here. You're going to, have, you're going to stand there. You're the mom, all right? Hagar and Ishmael. And who can tell me Isaac's mom? Yes, Audrey. Sarah, come on up. All right, you're going to hold that right there. And you guys might be up here for a little while, okay? So keep bending your knees. Don't lock your knees. All right. (laughs) So it says here, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And here's what Paul says to the churches at Galatia. This is an allegory. Now, Now, it's a real story. He's not saying that this is a fake story. This is a real story of real people that really were born, that really lived in the Old Testament. He's saying their family 
is a story for us to learn from. It pictures some things. An allegory is a story that pictures some things. It pictures some things. This is their physical life, but it pictures some things spiritually for us to learn from. And this morning, I want to bring us a message that I've entitled, An Allegory of Sin and Salvation. An allegory of sin and salvation. Hold your hand, put a marker there in Galatians 4. We're going to go to our text in Genesis 21. We're going to see some things here in Genesis 21, and then we're going to go back to Galatians 4. Genesis chapter number 21, the Bible says, and the Lord visited Sarah. Last time we were in this, this passage a month ago, I preached on delight in God's delays. The Lord visited Sarah, and notice that phrase, as he had said. You can count on him, as we just sang, he's a promise keeper. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived, and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. Here's who we have over here, Sarah and Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should uh, have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw, verse number nine, the son of Hagar the Egyptian. Here it is, Ishmael. Sarah saw, now we have to remember that this child, for those who are with us, this is the son of the flesh. This is the son of doubt. This is the son of them trying to take God's plans into their own hands. And this son was about a, about a teenager, was about 13-ish years old probably. So this son is now in adolescence, and there's a new baby boy that's, especially by the time he's weaned, he's a teenager, right around there. And, and notice what happens. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called, and also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed." And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba and the water was spent in the bottle. And she cast the child under one of the shrubs and she went and sat her down over against him a good way off as it were a bow shot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. I've got to give us a little bit of context, a little bit of review, and then we're going to jump into the allegory. Where have we been in this series? Here's the story of Genesis where we've been so far. Genesis uh, 1, 2, 3, we see creation. God creates everything. We studied that, creation. And then we see the fall. And so we have creation, and then the fall, Adam and Eve sin, they're cast out of the garden. And then uh, after that, we see the flood. Man begins to do that which is right in his own eyes, and God destroys the world with the flood. And following the flood, we see Babel. God scatters the, the, the tongues and the languages and the nations, and so we have people of different language groups, and they're speaking different languages in different areas, and they're all doing that which is right in their own eyes, and God's already destroyed the world once, and then we see a promise come to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. We saw the last, uh, in Genesis 19, God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. We see judgment, and, 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 and there's a lot more that we've gone through in the last 30 weeks, but this is the, the basics. And you remember a few chapters ago, about a decade ago from where we're at today, 
Abraham and Sarah doubted God's promise. They doubted God's plan. They didn't think God was strong enough to do what he said. And so Sarah says, why don't you just go have a child with my handmaid? And in their culture, that was actually okay. And in their culture, that, that child would officially be Sarah's. And why don't you go have a child with my handmaid? That's Ishmael. So that for uh, uh, over a decade, that's the only child they had in their home. And you have to imagine they loved that child. Now, there was some jealousy and there were some problems, but that's Abraham's firstborn and only son. And then God, at age 190, gives Abraham and Sarah Isaac, the son of promise. And after, Sarah is, after Isaac is born, what happens, Ishmael, like junior hires sometimes do, was not so kind and started making fun of, and making fun of maybe Sarah and Isaac, and that little kid, oh, he's so dumb, he can't even walk, and I don't know what he did, but it says he was mocking. And she said, get them out of my house. She's not staying in our home. That kid, I'm not raising that kid with Isaac. Now that I have my own flesh and blood, I'm not raising my kid with, with, with Isaac. Ishmael's not going to be here. Abraham, get rid of him. And the Bible says Abraham was very grieved. Why? That was his son. He loved Ishmael. And God says, don't worry about it. Go ahead and do what she said. It's all part of my plan. I'm, gonna, I'm going to make him, because I promised you I would make him a great nation, I am going to make Ishmael a great nation. By the way, the Arab-Israeli conflict that we see today, the, the, those people, they are the descendants of Ishmael. God made a great nation, and they have been at war for millennia now. Ishmael, the descendants of Ishmael, and the descendants of Isaac, which is the Jewish race, the Jewish people. So we have Sarah and Isaac, Hagar and Ishmael. And now, flip back, if you will, I don't think we'll be back in Genesis, flip back to the allegory in Galatians 4, and this is where we'll find our message, Galatians chapter number 4. I want you to see, so what is? So where we're at in Genesis is the story of God coming through, fulfilling His promise in ways, and by the way, even when you don't see it, He's working. Even when you don't feel it, He's working. And they didn't see it, and they didn't feel it, but God was at work, and you can trust His promises, you can rest in His Word. And so in Genesis, we see that God finally gave the promised son Isaac, but then in Galatians, Paul says, this was given to you as an allegory, as a picture for you to learn some spiritual truths from their physical situation. Galatians chapter number 4, let's look at verse number 22. Verse 22, would you read that aloud with me? Galatians 4, verse 22. Ready? Begin. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Now skip down to verse 24. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. They picture two covenants. The one from Mount, the Mount Sinai, that's Egypt, that's where the law came from, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar, for this Agar or Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou Thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Verse 28. Now we brethren, notice this, we brethren, those of us that are saved, as Isaac was, are the children of what church? Of what? Promise. Verse 29. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, Ishmael mocked Isaac, so it is the world hates believers. Even so it is now. 
Verse number 30, nevertheless, what saith the Scripture, cast out the bondwoman and her son, get rid of the law, get rid of those things that are keeping you in bondage, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be uh, heir the bond, uh, the, with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We are not children of works, we're children of grace. We're not children of the law, we're children of His mercy, of His promise. We're not children that come to God by the flesh, we're children of the Son of Promise, the Messiah. This is the allegory I need. I need about 12 kids to come help me. I'll get a few from each section here. Let me see. All right. One, come on, you can stand in the front. One, do I have anybody in this section who wants to help? Anybody in this section? Two, three, four, there we go. Five, come on down. Here we go. Anybody here wants to help? Six, right there. All right. Seven and eight. All right. We'll do those two. Nine and ten right there, and then we'll go Elijah and Nadosix, you can rock, paper, scissors, whoever's coming up. One of you three, all right? All right. I need six. Six of you to stand over here. One, two, three, four, five, six. You're going to stand. You can stand down here a little bit, a little lower. You, you one, rock, paper, scissors. All right. All right. Six. And you guys can come down, and I'm missing, Elijah's coming down. All right. So we'll get six on this side. Two, four, six. All right. Here we go. So, what is the allegory? What is he telling us, Isaac and Ishmael? He says on this side, the picture of Ishmael, it's a life of bondage. The bondwoman keeps you in bondage. The law, sin, the flesh. Over here is liberty. Liberty in Christ. We're going to see it in just a minute. Over here, it's all about how do we come to God by works, by how we look, by what we do. Over here, it's all about we come to God by grace. There was nothing Abraham Nothing Abraham and Sarah could do to get Isaac. It was all God's grace. It was all God's power. It was all God's promise. They tried in their own strength and failed miserably. And God said, if you just would have trusted me. Over here, Ishmael is a son of the flesh. Over here, this, uh, Isaac is a son of faith in the promise. We believe what God has done. Over here we see, and hold your sign up there if you will so everybody can see it, okay? We see our plan when we follow our plan. Isaac is a picture of what happens when we follow God's plan for salvation, for, for service. Over here is the law. This is Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament law that Jewish teachers were coming into the churches at Galatia. Jewish teachers were coming back in after they had been saved by grace through faith, the same way that you and I are saved. Some Jewish teachers and Jewish uh, people in the church, even Jewish believers were coming back and saying, but you need to follow all the Old Testament laws either to get saved or to get closer to God. And over here we see, I already have grace. Maybe I got a duel, double grace. I'm not sure what happened there, but you can't have too much grace. Over here we have death, the bondwoman, the law leads to death. Over here we have life. And so he says, here's the allegory. You guys are going to be up here for a little while, all right? Parents that I've called your children up, you can thank me later. I'm helping you. So you're not having to correct them. So we have an allegory. We have children, Ishmael of the flesh, of works. Of, of my own my bondage, of death, my own plans. And over here we have Isaac, liberty and grace and faith in God's plan. And I want you to see, Paul says in Galatians that this story is an allegory of our spiritual lives. In this story we see that, that an allegory that teaches us two main things for our Christian lives and will be done. Number one, 
What does the story of Ishmael and Isaac teach us? Number one, it teaches us God's plan for salvation. Would you say that with me? It teaches us what? God's plan for salvation. It teaches us how we come to God for salvation. It teaches us how we we fulfill God's plan for eternal life and forgiveness of sins. The word is, would you look at um, chapter number five, Galatians five, look at chapter number five, verse number one. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free again, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Live in grace, not under the law, but hold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, that's a picture of the law, the old says, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. If you're trying to come to God in your own strength, then God's, then Christ's sacrifice is of no effect to you. Look what he says in verse 5, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Back to verse 4. Would you read verse 4 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. Verse 6, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Do you see it here? He says, you are justified, Romans says, the just. Martin Luther read this, and he went and nailed his 95 theses to the wall. What did he read? The just shall live by what? By faith. You are justified. What does the word justified mean? The word justified, it's a legal term. It means declared righteous. Now, you and I are not righteous, but when we receive Christ by faith, when we have faith in the promise, when we follow God's plan, we find life. What what is it? It is we are justified, declared righteous, not because of our own works, but because of the son of the promise. Isaac is a picture, an allegory of the Messiah to come, the miracle, only begotten son of God that would come to us in human form. And what does it teach us? This allegory teaches us God's plan for what, class? Good job. God's plan for what? Salvation. That always encourages the pastor. We have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Justification. Somebody said that word justification, it means just as if I'd never sinned. Isn't it true that we want to figure out how to get ourselves to heaven? Man's been trying for millennia. We try all kinds of things. Well, I think all roads lead to heaven. Well, if you just do your best, and if you just try your hardest, and I, I just I try to let my good outweigh my bad. I, I work hard. I, I give in the offering. I go to church. By the way, most religions of the world teach exactly this. There is something you can do in your own strength to get to fulfill God's plan of eternal life. But God says there is absolutely nothing that you can do. The Bible says that Abraham was as good as dead. He had no life-giving power in him to have a son, and God came and uh, uh, gave—Sarah and Abraham—God came and gave him Isaac, that son of the promise. There is the, the, the world, the original of the world tell you there's something you have to do to earn your way to heaven. God says there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. The religions of the world say do. Christianity says done. There's nothing you can do. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Christ on the cross, what did he say? It is what? It's finished. 
To tell us die, again a legal term that says the debt is paid in full. It is finished. Not I did most of the work, now you have to help me out by living a good life. No, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul told the church at Ephesians, the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, he said, not by works of righteousness, which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us. What did he say? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Notice what it says, that being, what's that next word? Justified, declared righteous, just as if I'd never sinned, being justified by his grace. Justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life, to tell us die. It is finished. It's none of us, church. It's all of him. If you want to make it to heaven, it's not about being a member of the Baptist church. It's not about giving money in the offering plate. It's not about coming into some confessional booth and telling me all your sins. We have one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. It's about you not trying to figure it out with your wife. How can we turn over a new leaf? How can we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps? Because all that comes from that is bondage and is disappointment and is death and his works. That son of Ishmael, no, it's saying, God, we we can't do it. We don't have the strength, but we trust your plan. I want you to hear a clip in just a moment of a preacher from Texas. His name is Johnny Pope. I've, I have many friends. Sammy has preached with him. I've never personally met him, but I've heard him preach in different places online and things. He talked about this word to telestai. This clip is a little over two minutes. As you listen, I want you to remember that Isaac, the son of promise, was a picture of the greater son of promise to come, our Messiah, the miracle son, the son of the only begotten of the Father. Listen and think about what Jesus Christ did for you when he paid for your sins on the cross, and ask yourself, what do we think we have to offer him as it relates to our salvation? Go ahead. When the Lord said it is finished, it was one word in the Greek language. Detelestai! It was a word used whenever the... Passover lamb was examined if it had no flaw or blemish and it was worthy for Passover, the farmer would say, as he would present it to the priest, to tell us die, no flaw, he's the Passover. It was the same word used whenever a man was in prison and he had ordinances on the outside of his door, the crimes that he had done, when all of those crimes were paid for, then there would be a big word stamped right across it, one word, tetelestai, meaning paid in full. It was the same word used, are you listening, it was the same word used whenever a painter painted a beautiful portrait and he believed all the colors harmonized, his horizon harmonized with his background, his foreground worked with the background, he'd say to Telestai, it works, it harmonizes, it fits. It was the same word used by the Cyclops, they were like our Delta Force, the Green Beret or the Recon. When their job was so dangerous, there'd be a runner that would go with them in the battle. He'd stand on the outskirts of the battle. If the Cyclops won and the enemy could not have recapitulation of any kind, then the runner would run back to the edge of Athens with one word on his lips. And he would say to the wives, the daughters, the sons, the sweethearts, moms and dads and grandparents, one word, meaning overwhelming victory and the enemy cannot rise up again. 
saying it's finished to his life. He was saying it's finished to man's salvation. He took the holy hand of God and the unholy hand of man and showed us that this will work. He was saying, I am the Passover lamb. Which of you have in found any fault in me? No man, no man. Look at me. I am the Passover. And all the sins that you committed, I'm putting on your jail door. One word, paid in full to tell his die. And I'm whipping the devil good and proper. He won't get over it. No, he won't get over it. And I'm telling you, there is no recapitulation. This is victory. This is victory. This is victory. To tell us die, it is finished. This is victory. And yet, don't we still try to come to God in all our different ways? And Paul said to the Galatians, what are you doing? The law is bondage. You're never going to earn your way there. Isaac is a picture. What did they do to get Isaac? They did nothing but trust God's promise. That's all they did was trust God's word, trust his promise that he would give them life. And his promise made no sense, and they didn't believe it for a while. And they spent a decade or two, actually about 25 years, they spent a decade trying to figure it out themselves. And finally, God said, if you'll just trust me, I will give you the gift of life that you don't deserve. This is an allegory that teaches us God's plan for salvation. It teaches us, number one, what does it teach us, class? It teaches us God's plan for what? Salvation, number two, it teaches us God's plan for sanctification. You've listened well. Give me about 10 more minutes, please. Sanctification. Kids, maybe about five more for you up here, all right? You guys are doing great. Look at verse number 13. For brethren, ye have been called—oh, by the way, sanctification, that's a big theological term. You're like, what does that mean? Sanctification just means set apart. It's the process of living for God. It's the process of becoming more like God. We are sanctified. We are purified. We are set apart for His use. Once we're saved, God wants the believer to be sanctified, to become more, more like Him, to be, to be meet for His use. It's that process where God makes us more like His Son after we've been justified. Once we're saved, it's how we grow in Him, where we live more like Him, talk more like Him, act more like Him. We are changed into His image. Look at verse number 13. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. You're not under the bondage of the law. You've been called into liberty, that grace. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Verse, and Christians would do well to heed that verse there. Verse 16, let's read it aloud. Ready, begin. This I say then, Walk in the spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at chapter 5, verse number 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other. Here's what he says. In our sanctification, there's two paths we can go. Verse 18, if you're led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Here's how you know if you're trying to live it in your own strength or in God's strength. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, all these things. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22. Kids, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Would you read those aloud, kids, from your Bibles? But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. 
And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Here was the problem for the Galatians. The Galatians, most of them had come to Christ by faith because he says, you, he says um, you, you did run well, who did hinder you? He said, uh, you, you, um, having, uh, or he says, um, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Having been saved by the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Most of them had come to Christ the right way by grace. They had trusted Him for their justification, their salvation, but now they were trying to live for Him in their own flesh. That's called legalism. Some people will tell you legalism is just adding works to salvation. That's not what Paul taught in Galatians. Legalism can mess up your doctrine of salvation, where you believe that you can get saved by works, but it can also mess up your doctrine of sanctification, where you believe, I now, God did all the work of saving me, but now I'm going to do the work of being like him. And none of us are strong enough. None of us are holy enough. No list of rules that we keep will make us more like him. What does he describe the process of being changed into his image like? What does he describe the process of sanctification? He calls it a fruit of the Spirit. What work does the tree do to produce fruit? It sits there. And it puts roots healthy into healthy soil and you keep pests away, and you water it, and if you just get a tree in the right conditions, what is an orange tree is going to produce what kind of fruit, kids? Orange. Oranges. And an apple tree is going to produce what kind of fruit? And you know what? It doesn't matter how hard the farmer goes and tries to tape an apple onto the tree. It's not going to work. The fruit has to come from what's healthy inside. And may I say, church family, that this picture of faith and, and flesh and works and grace and God's promise and God's plan and our plan and our works, th this picture is not just for salvation, but it's also for our daily lives, sanctification. There is nothing that we can do in our own righteousness. What it is, it is walking in the Spirit. It's us saying, God, I have no good thing inside of me, but today I'm going to read your word, and today I'm going to pray, with, I'm going to talk to you. Today I'm going to try to let your Holy Spirit inside of me change my thinking, and from that, the fruits of love and joy and peace. If I'm healthy inside, if my roots go deep, I'm naturally going to give the fruits of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, goodness, meekness. Those things are going to come out. Can I say, believer, the Christian life is not an outside-in life, it's an inside-out life. There's nothing you can do. Well, I, I know how to dress, I know how to talk, I go to church every week, I give money, but if our hearts are far from Him, it doesn't matter how many rules you keep. The, the son, cast out the son of the bondwoman. Quit worrying about your rules and start worrying about your relationship. And if you'll worry about your relationship with Christ, He'll change you from the inside out. And you won't have to worry about taping the fruit of goodness onto your life. Well, today I've got to be really good. No, today I want to walk in the Spirit, and Holy Spirit, you speak through me, and let me be sensitive. Let me crucify the flesh, as Paul said here in Galatians chapter number 5. Let me crucify the flesh. This thing of, of, of legalism wasn't only affecting their view of justification, but it was also affecting their view of sanctification. Paul told them in verse 13, you've been called unto liberty. You're no longer under the law. You have liberty in Christ. You're not bound to the law anymore. Cast out the bondwoman. By the way, can I just stop right here for a minute and say this? We have a whole bunch of Christians that say they're living in their liberty in Christ, and it's all so that they can please and fulfill the lusts of their own flesh. Well, I'm, I'm free in Christ. 
so I can do X, Y, Z. Well, I'm no longer under the law. What did Paul say that liberty in Christ leads you to do? Would you look at verse 13? For brethren, you've been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Can I just say, if your liberty doesn't make you love more and serve more, it's not the liberty that Christ gives? I've got liberty, so that means I don't have to dress this way and walk that way and talk that way, and I can pick what I want to do there. Basically, I can live my life, and I've just got to get out of jail free card, a get out of hell free card from God. I can do whatever pleases my flesh. That's the convenient, casual Christianity that's a scourge in our, in our society today. No, true liberty in Christ doesn't make us serve less, it makes us serve more. It doesn't make us love less, it makes us love more. It doesn't want us to have less holiness. It says, God, I want to be more like you. But here's what true liberty in Christ does. It changes the reason that we do it. It changes the motive. By love, I want to serve. I don't have to serve because if not, I'm going to break the Ten Commandments and lightning's going to come out of heaven. I don't have to love and I don't have to serve. I get to love and I get to serve. By love, it changes why I do what I do. Why? Because I'm not under the bondage of the law, but now I'm constrained by the love of Christ. It changes. It changes how we understand God's plan for sanctification. Walk in the Spirit. He says that liberty isn't so you can do the things that please your flesh, but liberty, God gives it to you so you can serve each other out of love. The freedom we have in Christ is a freedom to serve out of love, not duty. Have you ever lived your Christian life in duty? I have to. God doesn't want you living a have-to Christian life. We aren't doing good because we have to in order to earn God's love. We're doing good because we want to, because we've already received His unearned love. It might look the same to people on the outside, but trust me, I've lived both ways. It is two totally different Christian lives. It might look the same that we're just doing good things as Christians. It might look the same to the people out there, but one is from the flesh and its bondage and its work, and the other is, I don't have to, I get to, I don't have to, I want to, I don't have to go to church, I want to go to church, I don't have to stay off that website, I want the fruit of purity, not uncleanness in my life, I don't have to do all these things. God, you saved me, and you love me, and because I'm filled up with your grace and love, I want to give others grace and love. He said it's an allegory. Understand. And he tells them it's an allegory about their Christian lives, about their sanctification. Paul tells them you can't come to Christ in your own strength, and you can't live for Christ in your own strength. Can I say that one more time? You can't come to Christ in your own strength, and you can't live for Christ in your own strength. Some of us think we can't come to Christ in our own strength, but we think we've got it down. We know how to play the game. We can live for Christ in our own strength. And all of our righteousness is as filthy rags for justification and sanctification. I got to finish, don't I, kids? (laughs) Having fun up here. Too many Christians are trying to force fruit from the outside in. We aren't strong enough to have the fruits of the Spirit consistently in our lives. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. You don't believe me? Go cut somebody off on the 405 after church and see what the natural response is in our flesh. None of us are strong enough to consistently live in love, peace, forgiveness, long-suffering, 
Stop trying to live righteously in your own power and tap into the power that he has given you through his spirit. Do you see verse number 16? What is Paul telling them? Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He was telling them you're trying to walk in the law so that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. No, walk in the spirit. Verse number 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. If the spirit's good enough for salvation, then it's good enough for sanctification. Paul explained this struggle between the spirit and the flesh in Romans 7. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. A little bit of Dr. Seuss in here, isn't it? If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now that it is no more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. What does he say? For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. I want to do right, but how to perform that which is good I find not. I can't bring, I can't bring spiritual fruit in my life in my own power. I want to, but I can't. So I've got to rest in him. I've got a fellowship with him. I've got to learn of him. I've got to do what I do out of love, not out of duty. Because I want to and I get to, not because I have to. It's an allegory. We aren't good enough to save ourselves, and we aren't strong enough to change ourselves. We aren't good enough to save ourselves, and we aren't strong enough to change ourselves. We need his grace and his love to change us. What does the Bible say? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Abraham tried to live God's plan in his own power, and he got Ishmael. When he he waited on God, Ishmael, when he waited on God and followed his word, he got Isaac, not of his own strength, it was all God. I need two teenagers that want a box of candy. Two teenagers. All right, right over here, come on up. I need one more. Wants a box of candy, a teenager. All right, there it is. Sophia, are you a teenager? Kind of. Are you 13? All right, come on up. Because you also stood up for the uh, box of candy for the elementary kids. (laughs) All right, come on over here. Come on over in the front. Come on over. No other team. All right, I'll get a box of candy. Nobody else wants one? Teenagers are too cool to come up here with all the kids, aren't they? Here you go. Salvation. I see that hand. Caden, come on up. Yeah, I see that right there. Come on up, Caden. Here you go. Right here. All right. I knew he wanted a box of candy, and I knew his dad would like that if I put him on the spot like that. All right. Caden's going to hate me now right here. We still friends, Caden? We still friends? All right. Here we go. Here it is. You're only up here for like 30 seconds. These guys had to be up here for like 30 minutes. Here it is. God's plan for our salvation and our sanctification. Isaac and Ishmael, it's an allegory. It's a picture. How are you trying to come to him? Do you, do you know Christ because you've been saved by grace through faith? Or do you think your good works are going to outweigh your bad? And once you've been saved, how are you living for him? Well, I'm trying my best. Well, I'm turning over a new leaf. Are you spending any time in prayer? Are you acknowledging, I I need you, I can't do it? Are you acknowledging, I need your grace and life and liberty? Or are you trying to live your sanctification in his power? You guys can keep those signs, grab a box of candy, and head back to your seats. Let's give all of them a round of applause. Get over there fast. If you're the last one, if you're the last one, you're going to be left with junior mints, all right? So get there fast, all right. We try to do both of these things like Abraham and Sarah did with Hagar in our own strength, in our own flesh. Paul teaches us, learn from Isaac and let God do the work that only he can do. What do we learn from the story of Abraham and Isaac and his two sons, church? Listen to me, 30 seconds and I'm done. We learn, what do we learn from this allegory? Number one, believe God's word. Believe God's word. Number two, trust God's plan. 
Number three, wait on God's timing. Number four, find God's joy. Believe God's word, trust God's plan, wait on God's timing. Isn't that the opposite of what they did with Ishmael? They doubted his word. They didn't trust his plan. They figured they had to get their own plan. They didn't wait on his timing. They did it in their own strength. And you know what they found? The opposite of joy. Heartache and conflict and disunity. And that conflict has been going on for thousands of years because they didn't do the first three. But what did Sarah in Genesis 21? She said, I'm laughing and all those that know me are going to laugh. There's a great joy that I have now because I believed God's word. I trusted his plan and I waited on his timing. It's an allegory. Are you trying to come to him for, as savior in your own strength? You're never gonna get there. Are you trying to live for him after salvation in his own strength? You're not strong enough. We've got to believe his word, trust his plan, and wait on his timing. May this story remind us that it's God's grace that saves us. It's God's grace that keeps us. It's God's grace that guides us. It's God's grace that gives us the strength to fulfill his plan. None of us are strong enough, but here's the good news. We have access to all the strength that we'll ever need. We have access to all the grace that we'll ever need to live this life and to find eternal life. But we have to walk in the spirit so we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Christian life, it's a relationship, not a list of rules. It's inside out, not outside in. And Ishmael and Isaac are an allegory of God's plan for our salvation and his plan for our sanctification. You are free in Christ. And let that freedom drive you to love more, serve more, give more, be more holy. Let that freedom, not in your own strength, not puffed up in pride, strive to say, God, I can't do it, but I'm just going to try to draw close to you. And if I dwell on your love long enough, I think the fruit of love is just going to start coming out of me. And if I wake up every morning remembering how much you've forgiven me, I think I'm just going to forgive the people around me because I've done, they've done less to me than I've done to you. If I wake up thinking about the gospel that, God, you gave me grace I didn't deserve, then I'm going to give grace to my wife and my husband that he doesn't deserve. And when I let the gospel change me from the inside out, those fruits are just going to start growing on my life. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.